Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And we're talking about a greater freedom. Uh, there are several interesting stories in the Bible about uh, a situation that's confined and constrained uh, that goes on for quite some time, but then leads eventually to a greater freedom. And so that's what we're talking about tonight is how, how do we engineer that? What is that like? What does the Bible say about these times when we go from confinement to a greater freedom? So if you want to come along on that journey, good friends, let's open with a prayer. <laughs> Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you humbly for bringing us together in your name. You are the Word made flesh. Please help us, Lord, as we open the pages of your Word to understand who you are, what your heart is, what your mind is, how you would have us be in this world. Amen. Amen. Very good to see all of you, friends. Thanks for everybody who's here in the room. Sending love to those of you out online and getting the audio and on the phone from Canada. We got the poll compliment going here tonight, which is great. We had some excitement last week about that, but that's all fixed now. Okay, so um, uh, I want to start with the story of Noah's Ark. This will be our focus tonight. Uh, you know, Noah's Ark, confinement, all the animals in there together, the whole world is covered with water, and then there's a period where they land and the, eventually the animals are able to come out. And so that's our sort of key story tonight, and we'll be comparing that with a couple of other stories along that line. And uh, let's look at the first book of the Bible, Genesis, where this story comes up of the flood. And something I want you to reflect on, if you will, good friends, is that uh, Bible stories are so often, to me, so often when you first encounter them, even a very familiar story like this of Noah's Ark, uh, there's a strangeness to me I don't know if you share that feeling. It's about other people a long time away. There's this, you know, a long time ago, far, far away. And, and there's this big, uh, you know, this huge boat that Noah constructs. It's just a weird story. And then the whole world gets flooded and then he lands and he sends out one bird and then another bird. And then finally the bird doesn't come back and then they're able to come out of the ark. So it's this kind of strange foreign story. And what I'm hoping to do tonight is show that this uh, uh, can hit closer than you think. We're, we're more familiar with this story in our lives than, than, we, than we think we are when we first read it. Um, so uh, the Lord tells Noah in chapter 7 here, he, he warns him in chapter 6, that the end of all flesh is coming, the earth is full with violence. This is in verse 13. He's going to destroy the earth and so on. But he says he's going to establish a covenant with Noah and that he needs to make this ark, this uh, large kind of boat, this floating structure. Let's look at the beginning of chapter 7 there. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in, your, in this generation. And here's a little detail in the next verse that uh, um, you always think, oh, the animals went in two by two. Well, that's not true, is it? Uh, not entirely true. 
Look at verse 2. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, mm. a male and his female. Two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Interestingly, so the two by two that we always think of are the unclean animals. <laughs> the, there are more of the clean ones. They're, they're seven by seven in there. Go on. Also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Okay, and it talks about the fact of how old Noah was at that time, and they all go into the ark, and then the flood waters come. Let's read in verse 11 there. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. Now, I'm, oh yes, okay, he did mention that earlier. Okay, yes, so you have not only animals and birds, which we just read about, but also these creeping things. And they all go into the flood. And verse 17. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. Now that's an important little detail there, that the ark is moving about. It's not just sort of stationary, but it's just sort of being pushed around by this raging storm that goes on for 40 days and 40 nights. Go on. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. Mm. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. Now, one of the things that I like about uh, Swedenborg's explanation of a story like this is that uh, he can tell you why it's repetitious. You know, we already heard that everything died, but now it's saying again, well, everything died. You know, uh, it, we've only read a tiny bit tonight, and we've already heard some things uh, several times over, uh, and he can explain why it's phrased a different way. Um, uh, there's an example in verse 13 there that it's Noah and his three sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and then it mentions Noah's wife, and then the three wives of the sons. So the guys come first, and then the then the women, uh, but later you hear them in a different order. But go on with verse uh, 23 there. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. And you notice in that verse, they come in a different order than they did in verse 21, right? 
-hmm. Verse 21, it started with the bird, and then the cattle, then the beast, then every creeping thing, and then the person. And then it repeats it in verse 23, but they come in a different order. And the human beings come first, and the birds come last, and everything. And, and uh, Swedenborg has a field day with all that. It's great fun. Go on. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Oh, I see. So it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but the water kept going for a long time, for many, many months after that. Okay, and then in uh, chapter 8, we get the remedy to this. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. Mm. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. This is not the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven. You know, can you tell it's a little bit poetical in its description? It's not like a meteorological account. Uh, there was a northwest wind, and there was uh, 9.8 inches of rain, and, the, you know... <laughs> sometimes as much as three inches per hour. You know, that's not what it's saying. It's the fountains of the deep, the windows of heaven, right? Mm -hmm. Go on. And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. Okay, so the problem's over, right? Go on. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. Mm. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. Oh. Hmm. Okay, another three months of just like sitting there. Weird, huh? So you're in the ark and you've been on this ride all over the place and then you land and you feel like you're there. Isn't it sometimes like when you take a plane flight, you know, and you think, hey, we landed. And then it's like ages, they bring the thing up and then it's ages and then you're waiting for your package. You know, you're not quite done yet. So he's got quite a wait here. Go on. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Mm. Then he set out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, mm. and she returned into the ark to him. For the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Mm. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. Yes, it's a wonderful little detail about how he puts out his hand and, and brings this dove in. You would be shocked to know that Swedenborg says that has a very bad meaning, that putting out your hand. You're not supposed to grab the dove like that. That's about exercising your own power and trying to do something your own way or something. And that's why it didn't work. Go on. And he waited yet another seven days. And again, he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening mm. and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. <laughs> and I'm just thinking all the animals are like dying to get off the ark. So what does Noah do in the next verse? So he waited yet another seven days. He waited another seven days. <laughs> you really got to be patient about this whole thing. Uh huh. And set out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. Mm. And Swedenborg says that's a very good thing. That's a very good meaning that the dove didn't come back. Okay, go on. 
And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. So there were 40 days when the rain was going on, but this has actually been about a year like it's his 601st year. You know, he was 600 when this happened. Now he's 601. It's been a whole year of this. Okay, go on. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Yes, even long. So another long, long wait, right? Mm. Go on. Then God said, then God spoke to Noah saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Oh, wait a minute. The last time it was you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives. But now it's you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Okay, it's a different order. Go on. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Okay, that's the crucial verse for what we're talking about tonight. What are they going to do when they get out? They're going to abound, right? They'll be fruitful and multiply. Go on. So Who no went forth? So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Okay, they're back to the other order. <laughs> yeah, okay, go on. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Okay, and do you notice this time it's the animal, the creeping thing, the bird, and then the creeping thing. Okay. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night shall not cease. Yes, and Swedenborg is very careful to point out, as the old King James has it the right way around, it's seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, not winter and summer. The new King James has it the wrong way around there. So it shifts from seed time and harvest and cold and heat to summer and winter and day and night. So that's a very positive shift where you get the, first of all, the good thing is second, and then later the good thing comes first. And that's a very important shift. But it's easy to see why translators would just feel like, well, who cares? You just said cold and heat. You shouldn't have summer and winter. Somebody made a mistake, so we'll put it the right way around, put winter first. But that's not right. And in 9 verse 1, we won't read much of this here, but what's that first verse? So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's right. So that's what this is all about. So you see what I'm talking about, that you have just the general outline of the story is that seven of these clean animals, two of the unclean animals, and these creeping things and the birds get onto the ark with these eight people, and they float around for a while, and then they sit on the mountain for a very long while, waiting for all the water to recede, and finally they're able to go out. And so there's been this long period of, of confinement, and then... Boom, now there's freedom. Now they're going to abound. 
now they're going to be fruitful, now they're going to multiply. And that's where our title comes from, of a greater freedom. But a very, very strange story of long ago and far away. Um, uh, so, one of the points of Swedenborg's explanation of this really caught my attention, which is that uh, when we go through our lives, see, Noah may have known what was going on. They, I don't think the animals knew what was going on. They're just in there in the ark and everything. And you're in this. It, the ark was quite large, actually, but still it's got to get old <laughs> after a while being in there with all those animals and everything and no change of scene. You're just in there all the time and the storm is just raging outside. You're getting pushed this way and that by the water and tossed around. And, and um, this is a state of relatively restricted freedom. You're not free to get off the boat. You're not free to do whatever you want. Uh, in fact, all these things that used to exist have been killed now, right? All these people, all these animals have been killed that used to exist. So it's down to this very narrow little survival capsule that's, that's moving around on the water uh, for quite a long time while everything goes crazy out in the world and, and all this water is everywhere. And then finally they land and they finally see that it's safe to come out. And so they come out and now it's like, ah, you know, done with this experience. And Noah builds an altar and he makes an offering and the Lord says, I'll, I'll never do that again. And um, uh, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So this has to do with a circumstance in our lives. Uh, Swedenborg has a beautiful statement right in the middle of discussing all this that he says explicitly um, that Every Bible story applies to everyone. You all have an ark experience. You all know exactly what this is like. This is not a weird story. Chances are you're in it. You're somewhere in this story right now. And the way the Lord, the Lord is very, very amazing uh, writer. And he can write our individual stories in the way that everybody's ark story is a little different than everybody else's. But they all have these features in them. And so what do I mean? What I'm talking about is that when we go through this world, the falsity, the, the flood is a picture of all this falsity, all this all this stuff coming at you, all these uh, bad ideas, negative ideas, and uh, this storm of evil uh, going on. And the only way you're protected from it is just to be bobbing around in this little box that the Lord told you to create, uh, where you're there with just a few animals, you know, just a few of everything. Uh, and so it is very necessary for our protection that we be confined uh, for a period of time. It's important for us. We're protected. We also get strengthened by the experience. So it's not just a random thing. It helps us. But it's all building to a point at which this thing actually lands on the mountain and we get out and the world is, is all new. I mean, it's been disastrous. It's horrible what happened, you know that everything got killed and all that. But 
uh, there's a brand new world to be populated, to be inhabited, and all these possibilities open up. To say a greater freedom is an understatement of what you're looking at there when you're talking about just a few people just like, well, where will we go? Should we go here? Should we go there? You know, everything's possible now. It used to be you were just in this little box and now everything becomes possible. And Swedenborg says this is about uh, the, the reason we don't relate to the story, perhaps, maybe you do, uh, is that uh, we don't realize we're in that arc. We don't realize the extent to which our freedom is curtailed. Uh, I, I don't know if that's entirely true. I think some people are more aware than others. But we don't, we don't generally have awareness because we've never been outside the arc. Like we don't know anything else through a long, a long period of our lives. This is the only place we've ever been is in this arc getting slammed around. So this is so normal that we just don't even realize we're in it. And we uh, maybe over time we become aware of the fact that uh, we're restricted or we're frustrated. We want to do this and we can't do this and we want to do that and we can't do that. And our freedom is impinged on in various ways. But uh, I think it's fair to say that a lot of us have no idea that there's a freedom that's going to come, a freedom that's going to be much greater than what we're going through now. And in that state of freedom, all these things are going to reproduce and become abundant. So what am I talking about? Especially if you're unfamiliar with Swedenborg's teachings, it might surprise you to know that Swedenborg says that everything in this story is not only about everybody, and everybody has their own individual arc story, but all the things in it are parts of us. So the animals are feelings that we have, and the clean animals are positive feelings. We may only have a few of them, but, but we have some. We've had some loving feelings. You know, we've had some innocent feelings or some compassion or some desire to help others or whatever it may be. And uh, we've got some thoughts represented by those birds, just a few. We've built up a few thoughts. The creeping things are things in the outside of your life, pleasures in your life and so forth that are external and those are the creeping things. So we got a few of those things. But uh, we may not be aware, and the Bible story is trying to tell us in its own subtle way that there is a huge growth that's possible for these things. That that little feeling you had, just that little feeling when you were a child, you felt something good about somebody or something like that, that can grow so much it can't grow very much when hell is sloshing all around you every day. It can't grow very much under that circumstance. But it's in there. The Lord stuck it in a box. It's still alive, and it's going to get out at some point, and that will be able to greatly enlarge so that that feeling will be able to have children, so to speak, and uh, reproduce and multiply and, and fill the earth and everything, uh, that, that uh, all those good things will be able to greatly increase once we get through this hard part that uh, has various different names. Uh, one of them would be temptation, going through a period of temptation. In some ways, I think it's just our earthly life. Isn't it like our life in this world is you know, we're in this little box of our body and we're just 
going through here and, you know, and, and there are restrictions on us, uh, but there's a greater freedom coming ahead. That's the core point that I wanted to say tonight. So let's look at a couple of other stories that I think relate to this to see whether they shed any light. Look at Genesis 41. Thank you for your kind patience, good and gentle friends. Genesis 41. This is a story that we examined a lot a few years ago in Bible study about Joseph, and we'll just touch on it very briefly now. Uh, but look at Genesis 41, verse 14. Joseph, you may remember, he was imprisoned. He was falsely accused. He was imprisoned for a long time. He begged somebody, interpreted the guy's dream, and begged him to tell the person, to let, get me out of here. I'm unjustly in here. No, he forgot. Didn't do anything. So Joseph just continued in prison. He was doing well there. He became kind of head of the prison and was sort of running everything. But it was a prison. He was in prison, you know. And that's a period of confinement for Joseph. Now, when his confinement ended, what was that like? Look at verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. Yes, he came to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh had had a dream now, and this is what opened it all out. And so the fact that it was quick, like after you've been in prison for years and years and years and years, and you don't know whether today or tomorrow or a year or ten years from now, you don't know when you're going to get out. All of a sudden, it's like, boom, that's over. That phase of your life is over. Go time. Pharaoh calls you up. Shave, quick, get dressed, boom, you're on, you know? Wow. Okay. And so what happens as a result of that one conversation he has with Pharaoh, helping him with his dream? Look at verses 39 to 43 down there. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So, what do we think this conversation lasted? Like a half hour? Maybe an hour? Like in an hour, he's gone from prisoner number 283 to running the land of Egypt. That's a greater freedom... And it's rather rapid when it happens. A boom. Kind of an explosion for Joseph, I would say. All of a sudden, he's in much greater freedom. Do go on. Uh, then Pharaoh toy. took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. Mm. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee! So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Yes, thank you. It set him over all the land of Egypt. Now, so that's, that's wild, isn't it? <laughs> Prison to running everything, <laughs> right? <laughs> In the course of an hour or so. But Joseph had been well prepared. He had done very well. And everything he'd really set his hand to, he succeeded at. He, he was basically running the prison, you know, even though he was a prisoner in it. They still trusted him so much that he was basically running the prison from, from inside it. And so all of a sudden, because of his wisdom that he had, and he explained Pharaoh's dream, boom, he's all of a sudden in charge of the entire nation. And not only just 
hey, great, I'm in charge of the nation. But he's charged with saving them from starvation because of the content of the, the Pharaoh's dream, which had to do with that, you know, there was going to be a famine coming along. And so he had to make it all work, store up the grain, figure it all out, you know, and he did all that, not only saving the land of Egypt, but all the other countries, they would all come to him for food. It's a picture, is it not, friends, of the Lord? All these stories are about the Lord, and he's in prison. The Lord is in prison for a long time, long time, long time. We don't know anything about what it was like for him in prison there, but then he comes out, and all of a sudden, whoa, you know, there he is. He's the Messiah. He's in charge of everything. He's healing. He's teaching. You know, it's like it, the transition happens so quickly. Um, bang, all of a sudden. But he's prepared. He's been prepared by being in that confinement. He's learned lessons that he need. He didn't become, you know, bitter or jaded or, or whatever. You know, he's grown and he's developed in that prison state so that he's able to... to um, you know, what does it say in the New Testament? You've been faithful in a few things. I'll make you, you know, put you over many, uh, that kind of thing, right? Uh, that, um, that can sometimes happen quite rapidly. Uh, all, all of a sudden, he, he's in a very, very different condition than being in prison. Um, oh, let's see. I want to go back actually to Genesis 28, if you can turn to the left there because I was also thinking about the children of Israel. We won't talk about this as long as we did these other things. But um, we read this recently, um, Jacob's Ladder. And what is Jacob told in 28 verse 13? And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, to the west, and the east, to the east, to the north, to the north, and the south, to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Mm. And he says, "I am with you." So all uh, Jacob was uh, quite alone at that particular moment. And uh, all of a sudden, there, at some point, there's going to be this tremendous spreading in, in all directions and taking over the whole territory. You see why that would come to mind? Like you have the ark and you have all these animals and everybody's in one little box and then they get out and wow, it spreads out all over everywhere and, and fills the earth. And uh, so a similar story, when you think about the children of Israel, don't know if you're familiar with that story, but they come out of their slavery in Egypt. So they're in slavery in Egypt, which is a state of, of being bound, right? I mean, being forced to do hard labor and all this kind of thing. And they get out of there, and then they all have to kind of huddle together. There's a lot of them, but they're all just sort of moving together through the wilderness. Uh, they're getting attacked by Amalekites. They're wild animals, there's starvation and thirst and problems and, and they're moving their way through uh, the wilderness as if it's a little confined situation. See what I mean? They go through the wilderness. They've been in slavery and then they're wandering through in this kind of restricted circumstance. Not enough food, not enough water, not enough 
space or not enough good land or whatever, and they're all going through, and then they hit the Holy Land. And boom, I don't know if you know the story, friends, but some of them spread out to the east of the river, you know, Ephraim, the half-tribe of Manasseh and all that, and some of them go to the west, some of them do go to the south, some of them go to the north, just as Jacob heard in, in his vision. Uh, they spread out all over the land. And now the flocks that they've had with them that they've been trying to scrape and keep alive, all of a sudden they can thrive and they reproduce and grow and they, they fill the land. They're driving out the enemies and everything. So there's a picture there again, I think, in that core Old Testament story of going from a, a narrowness and a time of uh, deprivation uh, to a greater freedom, the land of milk and honey, an expansion. Uh, and look at, if you will, turn to the right and go through, you know, Deuteronomy to the book of Joshua. And uh, uh, look at 13, chapter 13, verse 1. Now Joshua was old, advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. Oh, okay. You see, there's a whole lot more land. They've entered into the Holy Land, but there's a lot more to fill. And basically, look at this. Just glance your eye down. Chapter 13 is full of place names that they're going to go to. And 14 is all these all these places they're going to go. In chapter 15, you see in verse 1 there, it talks about where the tribe of Judah is going to go. They're going to fill all those places. goes on and on and on. And then in chapter 16, this is what where Joseph is going to go. They're going to fill this whole area. Manasseh and Ephraim, his sons, they're going to fill all this area. And then chapter 17, there's Manasseh. Um, and it goes on through 18. You get these other seven tribes uh, the, and, and where they're going to go. And in verse 11 down there, you get to Benjamin. Chapter 19, you get Simeon and Zebulun. Issachar in, chapter, in verse 17. Asher in verse 24. Naphtali in verse 32. And so all of those chapters are just about all the territory that they occupied. They used to be in one little place and now they're spreading out all over the place and, and occupying the whole holy land so you can see why that would come to mind can you not good friends and uh the last biblical example i want to give you is actually from the book of revelation so you might say okay maybe that's just an old testament thing or something uh, and maybe that's all handled now look at revelation chapter six if you will uh, it doesn't touch on this very much in the literal sense of Scripture, but it's an intriguing situation. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? 
Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Yes. And so uh, here, this image again, there are these souls who are under the altar. How much room is under there? It's kind of a confined space. You know, there are these people under the altar. They're good people. They don't sound terribly happy. They're saying, how long, O Lord? You know, they're, they're not sort of thriving under there. Uh, they're waiting until the whole thing goes down. But by the end of the book of Revelation, all the dragon and all those bad guys are dealt with and they, they're able to be released from, out from under the altar and they become free. It's a similar, similar kind of image. We don't have as long a story to read about it, but uh, you had a period of confinement and restraint and then the enemy's gone and they can go out and move freely and things get good for them. So this is in the New Testament as well. There's one other example. I want to show you a graphic for those of you who are getting the video or here in the room that I did to try to represent this. I don't know how much it adds, but I just have a line across the middle with these various different colored shapes in it representing the sort of period of confinement and restriction. And then at the end, it, it all comes undone, sort of springs out like a party thing or something like boing, you know, everything. It comes out in, in a really exciting way uh, at the end. This is that greater freedom comes after this long period of restriction. Now, um, well, uh, one thing I want to say, good friends, is that uh, this greater freedom is something that the Lord wants to offer any and all good people. It is unfortunately something that does not happen to those who are committed and determined to be evil. In fact, if you look at the same Bible stories, the evil are represented by the floodwaters. What happens to them? Well, they get to have their fun, slam the boat, slam the boat, big storm, great fun, but their fun comes to an end and they recede and they have to go and they're not allowed to bother them anymore, right? And all the people who are harassing the souls under the altar, they eventually get dealt with at the end of the book of Revelation. Don't they get cast into the lake of fire and all that, you know, the, the beast and the false prophet and all, all of them get cast down. Um, the uh, soldiers who are pursuing the children of Israel when they get out of the land of Egypt, what happens to them? They're, they're free, they're powerful, they chase them, but then... Uh, they end up drowning in the Red Sea at the same time as the children of Israel get free and escape from the land. Uh, so let's try, if we can, good friends, to be on the right side of this story. Like, it seems as though the way Swedenborg describes it, uh, we can have, like, great freedom in this world and then have that reduced after death, which is what happened to those who are really committed to evil, that it, it, it's a reduction of their life. They actually get narrow. The narrowing happens afterwards. The Lord really doesn't want that to happen, does everything in his power to not have that happen. But that is how that goes, that there's a, there's a, a, a binding. You know, you see that with the, isn't the dragon, like the chains and 
all that in the book of Revelation and cast into the lake of fire and all that. And um, so this is, but for the good, uh, there's unfortunately that period of restraint and sort of struggle and, uh, and you're not free and it's difficult and everything like that. And we can easily lose sight of the fact that, no, this is leading to a good place. This is, a, this is the right side of the story to be on. Be in the ark if you have a choice. Don't be the water. Be in the ark if you have a choice. And um, uh, because that's going to lead to a period where the water recedes and you're free. Uh, you're, you're free to go. One other thing, just completely um, random point. So this doesn't matter and you, there's no obligation to pay attention. But I read a book a little while ago about something that happened in our physical world, as far as scientists are concerned, that was called the Cambrian Explosion. It was a period of time when, up, leading up to that period, there was practically nothing on Earth. There was almost nothing here, nothing to write home about. For four billion years, there was practically nothing here. And then all of a sudden, in, a, in geologically, a fairly short period of time, uh, yes, admittedly, it was 20 to 25 million years, but sure, still, it was, a, it was a relatively short period of time geologically that all these phyla, you know what a phylum is, you know, these grand categories of things like the vertebrates, the nematodes, the arthropods, the mollusks, you know, all these things, these grand categories, almost, they, some people count 32 of those, some people count 39, depends on what fits under what and so forth, but almost all of those came into existence during the Cambrian explosion. The Cambrian explosion in geological time was so short, you've heard this kind of analogy before, I'm sure, but if you tried to lay out all the four and a half billion years that the world, this earth has existed so far in one 24-hour period, you would be waiting without all those things, no vertebrates, no arthropods, no mollusks, no everything, all through the morning, right through lunchtime, right in the afternoon, through six o'clock dinner time, nothing until 9.20 in the evening in, in your day, and between 9.20 and 9.26, or maybe as late as 9.28, between 9.20 and not even 9.30, Pow! 39 file, I mean, pow, pow, pow! Animals, like crazy, all kinds of things, all of a sudden come forth at 9.30 in the evening. It's wild, and that's basically the situation that, that we're still in, you know. Uh, wow, it went along for a long time. It makes you think, doesn't it? The conditions, it's a source of much marvel to people. Uh, they, the scientists ponder this a lot. What went on in the camp? What was that? You know, because a strict evolutionary view has some difficulty, from what I understand, a book I read about it, with how you get there. Because if things just evolved, how do you evolve 39 phyla that didn't exist? Uh, that's kind of a good trick, you know. All of a sudden, pow, you know, over relatively, over those six or eight minutes in your day, bang, everything comes into existence. And so I think, is probably reading everything the wrong way around, but reading from the scriptures we've been reading tonight, uh, what, isn't it possible that there was an increased kind of freedom? Wasn't there a circumstance that was created 
You know what I mean? There was a freedom for this to happen. I don't know. I'm not going to reason about the Cambrian explosion. That's not our purpose tonight. But I was interested in that same pattern of like, go along, go along, go along, narrow, narrow, hold it. Just another seven days. Oops. Then we'll wait for another month and a half. Okay. And then we'll wait a little longer. And then pow. And then there's this freedom, this greatly increased freedom. It's just interesting to me. So um, in terms of our lives, uh, what that freedom is, as I say, is the freedom for these thoughts where I don't think we realize how much we live in the ark and how bad the flood is. I, I, you can sort of tune it out, I think. Uh, but uh, I think we'll really notice. Maybe you're already there, good friends. I hope so. If those floodwaters recede, we will really notice. Like the ark feels very different on Mount Ararat than it did when it was sloshing around all the time. You know, uh, we live in an atmosphere of negativity and opposition that is so constant that I don't think we have any idea we're even in it. But Scripture's trying to tell us, oh no, you're, you're in a little box and there's all kinds of floodwaters coming at you all the time. But I'm telling you, hang in there. Uh, enjoy the ride because it's doing something for you. It's doing something good to you. You'll come out better at the other end. And there will come a time when all that goes away. Same thing in the book of Revelation, isn't it? You have all these enemies, all this craziness, and uh, you know all the madness going on. And then that's cleared away. And now the people can come out from under the altar. And boom, now you're, now you're free. Now you're free. Now it may not be that that you know people run all, all over the world. The, the probably the greatest part of the freedom is just because freedom. Swedenborg says freedom always has to do with what we love. The greatest part of the freedom is just that you get to do what your heart desires. You know, there's kind of a thwarting that can happen in life. I think especially when you desire good things and you want to be wise and you want to be useful or something like that. It doesn't always happen, does it, friends? Uh, uh, we're not always as astonishing as we'd like to be. And um, uh, so the idea of getting to this point, going through this long, humbling journey, and then getting to the point where what is good in you can take over, you know, and can reproduce and multiply and greatly increase where these positive feelings, these positive thoughts can go forth. And, good friends, let me ask you. I don't know if our dear reader even remembers from back in here, but what were they supposed to, they were supposed to fill the what? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the, the what? Earth. The earth. Huh, the earth. What this is talking about, Swedenborg says, is the earth is our outer self, our outer self. Wow! Our outer self could become full of love, could become full of truth. Even these little creeping things are just like enjoying little things or finding out fascinating things like the Cambrian explosion or you know, all the little creeping things about the outside that come and they're things that reflect this love and this truth that's on the inside meant by the animals and the birds. Wow, your outer self? 
Woo! You know, I thought it said condemned, unfit for human habitation, you know, uh, <laughs> which it does for a long time. Uh, but this is about our outer self, outer self. I thought maybe you just like throw that off the back of the bus at some point and, and just keep driving. But no, this is about the outer self gets this explosion, becomes free, where you can really manifest love. You're not fighting anymore against your own hereditary tendencies and dumb things you did earlier in your life. And what, like the, the battle comes to an end and a freedom bursts out. I think it's a very exciting idea and kind of amazing to think about even the Lord when he was in this world went through this. That's what the Joseph story means. That's what all these stories are about. It's about the Lord's story too. That there was a long period where he was just in a lock, just locked in this knockdown, drag out battle with hell just opposed at every turn. You know, he's in prison. He is, he is not free. He, he's fighting, fighting, fighting. You know, just like that box, uh, just tossing around. But there's something good inside there. There's something good that's getting stronger and building up and getting ready to come forth. And when that battle finally, finally, finally comes to an end, uh, then, and I love that little detail that uh, the dove is something good. The raven something not so good that, he, that uh, Noah sends out first. But then the dove is something good, and something good happens. The dove flies out, and it comes back, but he wants to grab it. Mine. I did. That was excellent. I did a really good job. Oh, no, you have to stay in the ark for a little while longer. Sorry, pal. Shouldn't have grabbed the dove, you know. And so he has to stay there a little longer. But then when he finally realized, no, this is of the Lord. This is the Lord's doing. Set that dove, let it go. Then it, then it never comes back. You know, that's when you realize, okay, now you're ready. Now you can get out. Now you can fill, fill the earth. Now you, can, now you can be free. Now you can be free. Um, so uh, another sort of thought that I have real briefly, friends, is just that I love the fact that Scripture can seem so bizarre, some story about a box full of animals long ago with some weird guy and, the, you know, who's in it and everything. And, uh, and then somehow, uh, I, I love what Swedenborg does with these stories because it can all of a sudden hit you in the gut, you know. I, at least this story really hit me. Um, uh, oh, that's so helpful to know that this confinement is not a permanent condition you know something better is possible I'm being prepared for it when I'm really ready when I'm not grabbing the dove anymore then we can you know then we can move forward and come out of here and what's the first thing Noah does thank you Jesus right he's just like builds an altar and he says thank you Lord uh, thank you for what you've done for me. Everything is the Lord's. All these good feelings are the Lord's. That's what it means by he offers the animals. All these good thoughts are the Lord's. That's what it means by the birds. He, he does this offering of like, it's all about the Lord. And what the Lord replies is that there is going to be ongoing development. The, your seed time is actually going to lead to a harvest. Don't get no harvest on the boat. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, but you are now in a situation where you're going to have a harvest. The cold is going to lead to warmth. You're going to get to a better, you'll, you'll cycle around, you'll get back to cold again, but after a while, the warm states will actually take over so that you are really basically a summer and every so often you unfortunately have to go through a winter. Even the angels go through a little bit of that, but it ameliorates over time and uh, you will be basically in the daytime and occasionally you go through a little night. But that's where the Lord wants to take us to this uh, wonderful, wonderful place. So, um, I have spoken. That's all I have to say this evening. Thank you, good friends. Would you like to join me for a closing prayer? <laughs> Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth, both divine and human at once. We thank you, Lord, for gathering us in your most holy name. Thank you for your word and these amazing stories that sneak up on us. Please help us, Lord, as we go through the storm. Thank you for preserving us, for knowing how to keep the little precious things alive in there while so much else is being destroyed. Thank you for strengthening us. Thank you for giving us humility. And thank you for the freedom that awaits us up ahead. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so that we may gain a greater freedom.